Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. We turn our attention to a question that we all ask ourselves. If you've ever put a, jumped on a plane with a passport in your pocket going to some exotic foreign destination, it has crossed your mind and will on the plane if it hasn't before. What happens when I get over there if something goes south, if the political situation goes sideways, or I get arrested and accused of something I didn't do? What Ah, oh, the guy, Ottawa will bail me out, no problem. I'll order a drink from the uh, the the, uh, the the flight crew now and, and relax. Actually, though, when we take a look at the rules, does the government have to, uh, what are the obligations regarding helping citizens stuck abroad? And the short answer is, it's complicated. Here to sort things out a little beyond that, uh, from the University of Toronto, uh, doctoral candidate Scott McKnight joins us, who's done a lot of homework on this file. Mr. McKnight, Scott, welcome to the show. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Tell us, first of all, before we dive into this file, what, uh, what, you, what your thesis, what doctoral thesis are you writing? What focus, what's your focus, Scott? So I'm currently uh, finishing up my thesis here. I'm in the final, very final stages, thankfully, uh, writing about uh, the interaction between state-owned oil companies and their oil-producing governments. And I have a, a particular focus on China. So uh, this would be in the political science, political economy realm. Okay, interesting stuff. And I'm glad that you've spent, you are spending as much time on China as you are, because you're uh, certainly one of the focuses right now for Canadians traveling. And it's still summer holiday, Scott. And there are still people who are taking that vacation of a lifetime. They've been planning and saving for years, and we're going to Hong Kong. And all of a sudden, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh! Well, look what's going on over there. Uh, you know, the Canadian government says it, it hasn't. You're not forbidden from going there, but here's the advice: when you get there, eyes wide open, pay attention to what's going on, and stay away from areas of strife. So uh, those uh, conditions—that's the order of the day in Hong Kong right now, Scott. So, and of course, to say nothing of the 300,000 Canadians who live there. So, what sort of obligations does Ottawa? have to someone like you or me who goes on summer holidays to Hong Kong and somehow gets swept up in all of this stuff. Right. So the reality is, is uh, the Canadian government has, of course, a moral and legal obligation to uh, come to the defense of its you know, passport holders and citizens when we're abroad. But the reality is, is uh, the both the influence and, in fact, that obligation is quite limited. Uh, so in the case of a medical emergency or a lost or stolen passport, that's really what these uh, 24-hour, seven-day-a-week uh, consular services can provide. Uh, the problem is that I think when Canadians travel abroad, we have this this notion that, well, if I ever get into some trouble, then the Canadian government can come and come help me. Yeah. Um, the, the, the consular services do not cover things like you know, posting bail or paying legal fees or paying medical expenses, uh, reimbursing uh, your trip disruption if uh, 
if something happens, the airline goes out of business or you get caught in some type of scam. Right. Um, or, for example, if a foreign immigration officer, you know, intercedes, denies you entry or maybe kicks you out of the country. The reality is that the Canadian government uh, doesn't have obligations uh, in those situations. Uh, and we have a couple of basic problems here, which is, uh, one, for example, if uh, Canadians, uh, as we know, the Canadian government recognizes dual citizenship. You can be yep. both a Canadian citizen and the citizen of another country. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that o- that other country will recognize that dual citizenship. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, you, back to the point you made about the Canadian government, for example, is not obliged to pay your legal bills if you get into some kind of legal pickle. Are they, however, uh, in in a position to at least recommend a lawyer? Uh, that is possible, but again, that's uh, really more so on the uh, on the individual himself or herself. Now, uh, on the question of legal or consular visits, we see this specifically in uh, maybe the most prominent uh, headline-grabbing and perhaps most uh, unfortunate example here with the two Canadians currently detained in China, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Mr. Michael uh, Koverg and Mr. Michael Spavor, uh, they've been detained now for the last eight months in China, um, very clearly as a retaliation by the Chinese government for uh, our taking or our detaining of Meng Wanzhou, now a household name in, in Canada, right. uh, their Huawei CFO. Now, the cases of uh, Mr. Kovrig and Spavor, they've been detained by the government in China. They've been denied consular visits. They've been denied visits from family. Um, reports are saying that they're often interrogated three to four hours a day. The lights aren't being turned off. Uh, they confiscated one of the men's uh, reading glasses a few weeks back. Uh, so in this type of situation, it really shows that uh, the Canadian government, although it will push for uh, its citizens as much as it can while they're abroad, if the foreign government is not cooperative, our limit, our influence is, is very limited, unfortunately. Well, and there's no question that our influence with China is limited, period, because of the animosity that exists on the part of China vis-a-vis the Meng Wanzhou case, which, by the way, has begun at least uh, in court uh, in British Columbia because uh, they've at least filed some early motions and uh, the wheels have begun to turn at the uh, the extradition hearings. Now, there's no word on when there's going to be any kind of uh, formal presentation, let alone a decision, Scott, but uh, the, at least the wheels have begun to turn. But in retaliation, they really have just uh, taken those two gentlemen and just locked them up tight. And so has there been no contact by any representative of the government of Canada with either of those two people over the entire eight months? So with one of the gentlemen, we've seen that they've uh, held regular monthly, that is once a month visits uh, for 30 minutes. Um, but that's only a consular visit, uh, so that is to say someone from the embassy very likely. Uh, however, no family, no friends, no contact, no phone calls beyond that 30-minute, once-a-month consular visit. And that, again, is just for the one gentleman. Mm-hmm. Again, this is just, unfortunately, a real um, mistreatment of a foreign citizen, especially when considering uh, the way the Canadian government has treated Miss Wan, uh, Meng Zhou, right? Uh, who's, exactly. Uh, living in a, as you as your viewers very likely know, uh, in a pretty nice house in the Vancouver suburb, uh, under curfew, she can't leave the city. However, she can go out and, and do as she wants until about 11 p.m. at night when her curfew kicks in. So, uh, it, it, again, it shows the, among other things, it shows, again, the limits that the Canadian government has when a Canadian is, 
detained justly or arbitrarily uh, abroad. Which, of course, explains why Mr. Trudeau at the G7 uh, and every other opportunity he's had for the last several months is seeking the aid and inter- uh, intervention by other international leaders to try and influence the uh, the Chinese to release these two uh, hostages, essentially, uh, Scott, because that's what they are, retaliatory hostages. Uh, not with limited, well, with limited success so far, but he's uh, certainly pursuing that and trying to uh, get some attention. Uh, directed specifically at Donald Trump, and they were to have met today, and no uh, remarks or uh, indicators of uh, the substance of their conversation at all. Right. Now, um, we should say, too, uh, the the Secretary of State, Mike Mike Pompeo, uh, issued a public statement a few days ago uh, mentioning that that the U.S. government is is on the uh, Canadian government's side. Right. Uh, That's a positive sign for Canada. However... The Chinese government has actually also this week vocally expressed their uh, concern, uh, their, uh, let's say, dismay that Canada is trying to, quote-unquote, rally the allies against China, and they've insisted time and again that uh, Canada or any foreign country cannot interfere in uh, Chinese sovereignty, cannot interfere in in this supposed judicial independence that the Chinese government insists it has. Uh, So... In some ways, it's positive that uh, we're getting a, a good reaction, a unifying reaction from our Canadian allies. But on the other hand, it's also in some ways uh, kicking the hornet's nest even further with the Chinese government. And Scott, this is not going to stop. You get the impression that uh, Beijing's patience is waning, that they're they're really close to doing something that uh, uh, they may live to regret, but nonetheless uh, they're not going to stand for a lot more of this uh, stuff in the streets. And of course, tourists to say nothing that the 300,000 Canadians who live there, but tourists can easily get caught up in stuff like this. But it's not just Hong Kong. Uh, there are many places around the world right now where there are local tensions that uh, perhaps we don't even anticipate before we take a, 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 and buy a ticket to that destination. So those same rules that apply in Hong Kong apply in Cairo and uh, just about anywhere else on the planet, Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I should say we have uh, probably two trends here that would say uh, that would indicate that uh, this is now going to be a a fact of life for the Canadian government. Uh, One is that uh, Canadians are traveling abroad in increasing numbers. Sure. Uh, For example, there were some 5.1 million trips abroad that Canadians took in 2003. That number was nearly 14 million last year. Mm, So on one hand, we have more and more Canadians traveling abroad. And the other hand, we have now more and more Canadians who are uh, who were born in a foreign country, uh, one in five or so, uh, according to StatsCan. Uh, so that uh, second part there would indicate that these Canadians or Canadians in general have closer ties to, to the outside world, that they travel abroad more often. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you know, some of these countries have, unfortunately, some political instability, uh, natural disasters as well. Uh, this will really put strain on that relatively small staff that you just mentioned, those 470 uh, Canadian officials who work abroad to help those Canadians while they're away. And they're all constrained by something called the Canadian Consular Services Charter. I don't know many people listening to this broadcast, Scott, even have a clue that such a thing exists and that absolutely defines what consular employees can and cannot do. Right, and that's a a greatly uh, constraining or rather uh, maybe a document that highlights just how 
uh, unfortunately how limited um, the Canadian government is when it comes to these uh, these situations while abroad. Um, we should say too that uh, there is maybe an exception where the Canadian government uh, does mobilize in a more active way, which is in the case of major natural disasters, right. uh, great political instability uh, to the lines of uh, wars, revolution, major terror events. Uh, but otherwise, again, uh, the Canadian cons- consular services are are quite limited, unfortunately. Yeah, I mentioned Cairo quite quite deliberately, Scott, because there's a, uh, at the moment, this afternoon, it's okay, but there's an area of the world uh, quite far away from Hong Kong that represents equal potential for uh, disruption, civil disturbances. Uh, we've seen far too many examples of it in that city, in that area over the years. Uh, currently, it's fine. It's very calm, but it's one of those areas that can literally just go up and smoke in, in a day. And Absolutely. if you're traveling there and you you know want to go for a camel ride and see the pyramids and get out, uh, all of a sudden there's something going on. And, and and do you what's the rule for for a traveler? Do you check with your consulate when you arrive when you see these sorts of things on the news or hear stories about uh, disruptions uh, and that should should you uh, register with the consulate of of the country that you're visiting? Absolutely, that is one of the the main recommendations that the. Uh, Canadian uh, Foreign Affairs uh, Ministry recommends. One, you register while abroad uh, so that in case something does happen unfortunate, uh, of course, and unforeseen, you nevertheless have some type of footprint there. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing, of course, is getting medical insurance before you go. Um, and if you read the uh, Canadian Foreign Affairs website, when it comes to these travel advisories, they're often quite conservative um, regarding their country reports, uh, issuing maybe a bit... Uh, maybe very cautious warnings about when you travel to country X, Y, or Z. In part, I think that's an indication of they recognize that if something does happen, uh, unfortunately, it may just be on you to deal with it, uh, aside from a, a, you know these very extreme uh, circumstances, natural disasters, wars, and whatnot. Yeah, only a couple of minutes left here, Scott. And I'm back to uh, the uh, situation in Kashmir right now because uh, the article that you're quoted in on Global News a couple of days ago was talking about the Canadians in Kashmir. Of course, there was a blockout for communications. Uh, and in a situation like that, again, completely unexpected, uh, there you are in all of a sudden uh, in, uh, completely unable to contact the outside world uh, and, uh, you know, in, in a position of considerable potential uh, disruption. And the the item in the story that caught my eye was global affairs quote cannot take responsibility for your safe return. Right, and a lot of people, a lot of people, Scott, think that's not the case. I'll just call the consulate; they'll get me out of here. Right, and maybe that's the the best uh, the best quote to encapsulate, I, I suppose, the theme of this interview, which is that when push comes to shove, aside from the very extreme cases, uh, the Canadian government uh, can do very little. And that's, uh, again, with these political factors, some foreseen, some unforeseen, uh, in these, uh, in countries that, 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 that endure these types of, uh, moments of instability. Kashmir, unfortunately, right now is, is perhaps the mirror image of Hong Kong in terms of, uh, how, uh, things can get out of hand on the ground. And as a result, there's a lot of people there, including Canadian passport holders who sure. are, uh, left in a pretty dangerous situation. Scott, you've done a lot of homework on this. Why do you think so many of us 
don't know this. Why do you think so many of us get on a plane and no matter where we're headed, just have this sort of smug sense of, well, you know, regardless of what happens, they'll bail me out. I'm Canadian. They'll take care of me. I know that. And it's simply not the case. Yeah, I mean, I won't hypothesize necessarily on the more sociological dynamics behind it, but perhaps uh, it is, in fact, that uh, maybe a, a bit of a limited worldview where we think that, well, Canada is a, a stable and safe and relatively, you know, well-off country, therefore much of the world is the same way. Right. And uh, and, and unfortunately that that's not the case. Uh, the, the Canadian uh, case of of stability and, and uh, stable infrastructure and stable political system is, is very much the exception in the world. Uh, and therefore, when we do travel abroad, again, 14 million trips last year Canadians took, we mm-hmm. do have to keep in mind that things are, are different in different countries. And uh, again, a minus the uh, anticipated standby status of Ottawa to help you out no matter where you find yourself in distress. Absolutely. Interesting stuff. And and a bit of an eye-popper, I must say, while people are taking summer vacations. But it's also an important little educational piece here because uh, it's you're, once you're there, it's not your country anymore. You may have an embassy or a consulate somewhere nearby, but it's not your country. And our people can only do so much. Important stuff to know. Thank you very much for this, Scott. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Scott McKnight joining us from Toronto, where he is a doctoral candidate uh, at the University of Toronto's Department of Political Science. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.